Hello and welcome to episode 40 of the Alfa Romeo Driver podcast, brought to you by the Alfa Romeo Owners Club. I'm Guy Swarbrick and with me this week, appropriately enough, as this episode was released in the middle of Autumn Alpha Day at the Yorkshire Wildlife Park, I have the chairman of the Yorkshire section, John Scott. Good afternoon, John. Hello, Guy. As usual in these things, we'll talk about various different things during the, the course of the next 20 minutes or so. But as tri- tradition dictates, how did you get involved with Alphas in the first place? Uh, I blame my dad. <laughs> he was uh, an Italian car nut. He was actually a, a dentist by profession. Um, but he was what we would, in modern parlance, call a petrol head as well. And uh, really, he, he loved his Italian cars. Actually, he was a bit of a Lancia fanatic rather than Alphas, but he also had a, a number of Alphas. So really, he was a big influence. And, and when, did, when did that kind of parental influence turn into something that you couldn't kick and, and turn into a car? Well, it's a long time ago, I'm afraid. It's back in the 70s, really. My, my dad, as I say, was a dentist, but he, he fiddled himself a, a little part-time job as the motoring correspondent for the dental magazine. And as it, it was all a big con, I think, because he couldn't, he, he wasn't the greatest journalist in the world. But what it meant was that he could actually get a car on test for a week every month from various manufacturers. And, and obviously, he had to be fairly sensible about um, picking the, the, the rough with the smooth, obviously, and uh, balancing his input. But Alpha GB were particularly good, as were Lancia and Fiat, for that matter, at lending cars. So I was incredibly privileged during the 70s to be able to ride and actually drive an awful lot of um, production cars, but also, of course, Alphas as well. And uh, that's where I really got switched on to them. So did he do the same trick I do with my son of you driving it so he could take some photos of it moving? That's it, yes. It was a, there was a bit of that. And also I drove it so he could have a few beers in the pub as well. <laughs> Brilliant. So so when did you, uh, again, when did you transition from from driving the cars he had to, to owning your first one? My first my first Alpha was a 1974 Sud Ti. It, I, I bought that in 78, I think. And... Um, Unfortunately, as with most suits, it was an absolute joy to drive and to look at and so on, but it fell to pieces after about a year. It was it was very, very rusty and was uh, unreclaimable, unfortunately. So you, you, were, you were fortunate enough to be at the back end of the three to five year window when they, yeah. <laughs> when they started to fall apart. Yeah, yes, it was. I, I think it might have been a goner even when I bought it, but I was sufficiently naive in those sort of days not to worry <laughs> about it. And, and they were, yeah, they, they were worth it for the for the fun despite all the foibles weren't they oh fabulous it was it was the most incredible car ever i mean the, the way it handled the way it went and i mean i as as we i'm sure we're going to talk about i had a, a whole bevy of suds over the years and that first one was still the best like like a lot of these things that, that particularly alpha produced the the best one of the range is often the very first one they brought out without all the bells and whistles and spoilers and bits of plastic wheel arch and that sort of thing on it. it it was an absolute joy to drive it was a revelation compared with the mark ii cortina i had before it. so we don't necessarily need to go through all of them but but just take us on a, a kind of walk through the the chronology of your ownership well okay, okay next um we when i when when i got rid of that one i got another suit which was a, a 1286 ti um I, I think that was a kind of um bridging car between the series one and the series two Although I'm sure there are plenty of Sud people out there who put me right on that, um, but then we uh, we emigrated to South Africa, and uh, first thing I did when I got there was to buy an Alfa Romeo, which was a Julia Super uh, four door saloon, very really, nice for the princely sum of four hundred rand, which is about fifty quid now. Um, 
and it was it was just an absolute joy. I mean, I'd never driven a 105 before, although I'd uh, I'd seen these things a lot on, you know, uh, in in the flesh and on uh, on the TV and so on. And it was just fantastic. It was it was my wife's daily driver for three years, and it, it was it was I'm told it was quite a rare one that you could only get in South Africa because it was a 1300 engine with with twin side draft carburetors on it. So it went reasonably well, and. We had a lot of adventures in that, including getting stopped at gunpoint for uh, being accused of gun running. But that, that's, uh, I think that was an occupational hazard back in those days. Thank goodness it doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, and I think that the, those Julia saloons were always a, a, a bit of a rare sight. And I, I've kind of always, in the back of my mind, blamed the Italian job for the way they portrayed the, <laughs> the police ones and their yeah, yeah. utter hopelessness, which was really unfair. Every time that one comes out the sewer and goes into the river, I cry. <laughs> Yeah, and, and then the way they would run out of steam on the yeah, yeah. on the roof of the building, you yeah. think no, that's that's not really what happened. But that that really got me into 105s, and I always said to myself, you know, if ever if ever the, uh, the things fell into place, the one thing I would like would be a Bertone Coupe 105, and that that actually happened many many years later. So um, when when that Julia unfortunately also fell to pieces, in fact, you wouldn't believe it, but I gave it away. What I wouldn't do for having that car now, of course, but I'm sure we've all said that. We had a, a five-door Sud TI, a 1500 twin carburetor one, and it was a, an absolute dog. It was awful. The, the trim in it was very poor. It was like sort of 70s Draylon, and bits fell off it, and everything went wrong with it. It was, it was a horrible car. It really was awful. And uh, during this time, my dad had a couple of Suds as well, a four-door Super, which was used on the day we got married. And... Well, to cut a long story short, he had to have it resprayed afterwards. Uh, <laughs> it, it got decorated during the reception, <laughs> which was unfortunate, but he, he was he was quite uh, reasonable about it. Uh, he then went on to a, uh, a Giulietta 116, um, which is quite a rare car these days. You don't see many about at all. No. And my, my one memory of that specifically was the gear lever. It had a very large plastic knob on the top, which was a sort of purple color with... with um, sort of white um, grain, as it were. And uh, when, he, when he wrote up his article, because he'd had one on test, he said he couldn't work out what colour he could describe this gear lever. And somebody turned around and said, acute inflammation. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that, that actually sums it up quite well, really. It was, it was horrible. But, uh, but then Alphas did that in those days. They still do that to a certain extent. He then went on to a 75 after that, a two-litre 75. And that was a, that was a very, very nice car. That was a super so there was a bit of a gap then whilst the kids were growing up etc until we went on to a 156 sport wagon this is the first car or the only car i've ever bought brand new and that, in fact i didn't buy it as it happens the the clutch had broken on my fiat you know so i said to my wife i've got to take younger son off to his hockey game or whatever uh, can you pop down to the fiat dealer and get a new clutch for it gave her all the part numbers and everything else and she rings me during this hockey game and she says I think I've just bought a car. <laughs> so I said, well, either you have or you haven't. She says, well, all right, I have then. And on the, on, she found this 156 and it was it was old stock. The, the, the dealership was actually going bust at the time. So they needed to get shot of it relatively quickly. So she made them a, a ridiculous offer and, and they actually bit her hand off, which I couldn't believe. <laughs> so we, we got this 156 and on the order form, it actually said subject to hub's, husband's agreement. <laughs> and it didn't take me long to agree to it, I have to say. But that was a fabulous car. It was absolutely wonderful. It was a two-liter, two-liter twin spark, 
And we went all over Europe in that car. It was, it was, it was comfort. It was, it went like the wind. It was, it was great. It was really good, really good. We chopped that in a couple of days, a couple of three years later for a 156 saloon, which was a two liter JTS. And mechanically, I always thought the JTS was the best specification of that era of Alpha. The, the slightly more horsepower, a bit more torque in the engine and the closer ratios on the gearbox just set it off. And we had that car for, for three or four years as my wife's daily driver. And then our local Alpha dealer gave us a horror story about having to change the cam belt and needed this doing and that doing and the other doing. And as you do, of course, you leave the car, the car in the workshop and you go into the showroom, don't you? And so suffice to say, it didn't come out of the, uh, the workshop. She fell in love with a 916 GTV, which left me completely cold. I wasn't that interested in them at all. But she said, no, that's the one I want. That's, I'm, I'm having that. And uh, it was, it's a very, very nice car. Um, it's, um, it's quite a rare one because it, it's uh, a sort of anthracite gray, but it has a factory white leather interior. Ooh. which uh, I've, I've only ever seen one other with, with, with that particular spec. So, uh, and we've still got that car, actually. It's sitting in next door's barn at the moment. But um, yeah. It's... Well, with, with, with white leather, it's probably a good job. You can't get anybody in the back. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. We, my uh, youngest son got in the back once, but he said he'd never do it again. <laughs> it's um, yeah, total waste of time, those seats. But um, yeah, it's uh, that. That's a very nice car. It's uh, it's the two-liter twin spark engine. Um, feels a little underpowered sometimes, but it, it's a great great car for touring. You know, so just chuck a soft bag in the back and go and queue up for the uh, the Channel Tunnel and take yourself up around France. It's a wonderful car for that. And obviously, things have moved on a little bit, but that was kind of widely acknowledged at the time to be one of the best handling front-wheel drive cars ever made. Yes, yes, it's. Um, it, I, I would support that. I think it's very, very good. As I say, it feels a little bit underpowered sometimes, but a couple of times I've driven the, um, the soft top version, and it doesn't have that same rigidity at all. It doesn't have the sort of strong feel, if you like. But the this coupe, you can you can throw it in the corners and it, it, it responds very, very nicely. So in the middle of all of that lot, um, I, I forgot to tell you about my mother's car. She bought a 105 Spider, 1978 car. It had 50 miles on the clock. It was an ex-demonstrator. And she kept it until she stopped driving, which was, what, uh, two, three years ago? Excellent. And we sold it then. So she'd had it basically from new for, for nearly 40-odd years or so. That That was one of my... As a, as a small boy, that was one of my sort of go-to cars. You know, that was, that was the, the, the pipe dream. And actually, when you got in it and drove it, it, it wasn't the most comfortable thing in the world with those pedals on the floor and uh, difficult to get in and out of. And it was a two-liter, and it it didn't go as well as I thought it should do. But I think maybe she didn't sort of open it up and blow the cobwebs out every so often, which you have to do with those engines. Yeah, yeah. We then moved on to. Uh, my, my pride and joy, which is a 1964 Julia Sprint GT. So I, I got my Bertone eventually. And <laughs> that, that is just, it, it's, for me, it's one of the greatest cars ever invented. And I think that, that what, what really sort of excites me about it is it's such a balanced package. It's a 1600 engine, what is 110 horsepower maybe, but everything fits together. The, the, the chassis, the, the, the brakes, the gearbox, the the engine, it's a complete package and it is just such an absolute joy to drive. It's light, it's balanced, it, it corners completely flat and and it picks its skirts up when you when you ask it to. So so that is that's my pride and joy, which sits in the garage 
undercover, dehumidified the whole full works, you know. And was that restored when you when you bought it, or is that? Yes, it had, it had had a um, it had had quite a lot of metal work done on it. Luckily, none of the really major stuff, such as floors and balances and that sort of thing, they're all still original. But the the dog-eared bits, like wheel arches and so on, had yep. been uh, tarted up. And it actually came with two lever arch files full of photographs and bills and all that sort of stuff. So it's got a long provenance. And actually, I, I got a photograph of the lady who bought it new the day she bought it. And she's, she's holding a small baby in her arms. And it transpired that she actually got rid of this car and bought another coupe, which was a 1750. And then she got rid of that one and bought another two litre. Now, that car actually belongs to that baby who was in her arms at the time. Uh, <laughs> he's a member of the club. And actually, we've met up a couple of times just to just to put the two cars together and take a photograph of it. What we haven't found is the 1750 that was missing in the middle. We, we don't know where that went. But Peter quite often goes to Alpha Do's and we, we, we meet up. We, we come across each other quite often because he's still got her, her last two litres. Right. Um, so, so going on from there, the Alpha Bug just kept biting and biting. I had, as a company car, a few years back, I had a GT. Uh, it was a 1.9 litre diesel. And that also was a very, very nice car to drive. And one of the key things about that car was the seats. I had the Alcantara trim rather than the leather. And once you got in it, you were just located. And I'm sure it was the actual, I mean, the seats were a good shape, but the, that material was really, yeah. really nice. And I, I've now got a, a 2008 GT, which I use for as a daily driver in the summer. And that's got the leather interior. It's not, not it, it's still very comfortable and very nice, but it's not as good as the, those Alcantara seats were. So um, that GT was, was a car that I picked up because I saw it in, in the, the magazine, funnily enough, because it was a JTS. I'd always hankered after that, that package we had in the, in the 156 with that JTS engine and gearbox. And for me, that GT is the best incarnation of that particular model. I mean, I know there's a lot of V6 owners out there who would take major issue with me on that, but it's, it's balanced and it goes around corners a bit better than a, G, than a, than a V6, I think. And, and a lot more affordable because V6 prices now are through the roof. Yes, yes, they do seem to, they do seem to be going up. But uh, that, that's probably one of my great regrets about Alfa ownership. I've never, ever had a V6 Bussar engine car. And uh, that, that's kind of on the bucket list in some respects. But uh, which one to buy is probably... You mentioned your 156 Sport Wagon. I, I went to buy a 156 Sport Wagon, a 2.4 diesel. Um, and happened to arrive at the dealership on the day they were doing the launch test drives for the 147 GTA, ah. and, and walked out having ordered one of those. So that's, that was that was my only busso, which was completely impractical, it was absolutely useless for what I needed it for. Right, because um, I had two young kids who were competitive cyclists at the time, mm -hmm. so it lasted eighteen months before I chopped it in for a, the 156 Sport Wagon I should have bought in the first place. Right, yes, yeah. yeah, yes, you should definitely scratch that itch at some point. It's it's a uh, I think the 147 V6 is a little bit of a hooligan's car. I'm I'm told. I mean, I did I did road test one once, and I really liked it. I thought it was, it was great, and yes. um. Yeah, so I don't know, maybe maybe a nine one six, but I, I, I've got a feeling I might fancy a one six six. To be honest, just the uh, getting old, I don't know, maybe. Well, that's another that's another one that's on my my wish list is a facelift one six six with the three point two. Yeah, yeah. Or so in. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, then I, I had I had a two liter one four seven, which again was that was it was actually somebody who was scrapping it, and I said that's too good to go to the scrap heap. Give it to me, and I'll I'll. Uh, Tarted up, 
which which I did do. It was intended to be a retirement car because I was coming up for retirement at the time, and uh, and it never really quite made it because the GT came along, and and actually a Lancia Delta came along at the same time, which didn't help. <laughs> So the 147 was really sort of stood around and did nothing for, for a few years and had to disappear. But again, same two litre package, you know, that we've got in the 916 and the 156 and so on. I, I just love that package. I think it's, it's, it's great. And then there's a sort of sprint. I, I, I couldn't get away from wretched alpha suits. So I bought this one, which it wasn't an oil painting. I've got to say, you know, been, had a lot, quite a lot of welding done on it, but the, the, it was a driver. And the idea was to strip it and restore it. But I just completely ran out of time, so I decided it's better to make the space in the garage. That one went well, probably about six months ago, actually. I know there's a guy, a chap over in the northwest who's got it now, and he's doing wonders with it. He sent me some photographs, and it really looks nice. But again, that was one of the one of those cases of buying the the, the, the nicest one of the of the range, which was an early one. It was a chrome bumper, um, yeah, eighty nine car, and uh, the only problem was somebody had put thirty three mechanicals in it, so it it wasn't that original. So that's really the sort of brief potted history of, of Alphas. I love them. I, I can't can't get enough of them. So that's the the ownership history. When when during that that time scale did you get involved with the club, and how how did that come about? Well, to be honest, quite late on. We we lived in Cheshire for a long time. Only moved across to Yorkshire about ten years ago, and uh, I joined the club in Cheshire. But unfortunately, work commitments and that sort of thing, I, I never really took a great deal of part in it. I think I only went to a couple of section meetings, and that was about it. So, but when I came across to Yorkshire, we sort of said, "Okay, well, we're, we're going to make make something of this now." Particularly having bought the uh, the um, Bertoni Sprint GT, I wanted to be part of a club, and uh, so I, I joined the Yorkshire section and and basically went along to all of their their pub meetings, which were great. You know, there's some very very interesting people there, some and and we we got to know quite a few you know, people who are pretty good friends now, and really, I I, I felt that. With, with a lot of these cars, because I've got a, I've actually got a couple of Lancias which my dad left me when he passed away. Now, for me, the people that go with the car are very important, and and I I do tend to find that that particular makes or particular cars have particular types of people around them, and some of the Lancia crowd weren't really my cup of tea, I suppose, and they also didn't live anywhere near here either, so there's, there's hardly any Lancias in Yorkshire. Well, Lancias that I would have got on with anyway. But I, I really found the Yorkshire section was very friendly, it was very active, it was very dynamic and, and nice people. So it just went on from there, really. And when did you go from being a member of the section to to being actively involved in running it? Relatively recently, only about six months ago. We, we've, we've had a few changes in the, in the Yorkshire section over the last couple of years. And it's, it's a little bit smaller than it was. Uh, the membership's still pretty good. I think it's 170, maybe 190 members. But... Yorkshire is a big place, unfortunately. So having pub meeting, a, a pub meeting, we do it as centrally as possible. But people don't really want to travel an hour and a half, two hours to a pub meeting. So um, that, that's something that we need to tackle going forward. So um, I, I, I just felt that I, I wanted to try and do my bit to sort of bolster the the, uh, the membership and the interest and, and bring my, my sort of habits and, and foibles to to the meeting. I mean, my great passion in life is historic sports car racing. So I'm very keen at setting up people who want to come to, to Cadwell Park, to Donington, to Alton Park. You know, they're all within striking distance, distance of us here to go and watch Alphas racing, old Alphas. 
So we've done that a few times. And, and of course, we do live in God's own county. So we've got some fantastic roads to go and uh, do run outs. So we do quite a lot of that as well. In, in terms of the role, I think, you know, we've had a couple of section secretaries on uh, on the podcast since we started. Um, I think we, Jonathan Griffin's the chairman of the Thames Valley section, but we didn't really talk about his his role that much. How do you divide the role between yourself and, and Nicholas Williamson, who's the, the secretary? Uh, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit that Nicholas leads it. <laughs> um, Nicholas is a very uh, a very dynamic and very experienced secretary. I mean, I, I knew him very briefly through Lancia connections before uh, when I first joined the, uh, the Alpha um, section here. And uh, he, he's a very experienced secretary. He's very good at getting things organized and getting people going. So, um, so, so Nicholas really leads, leads things. He's very good at putting, uh, putting ideas into, into substance. So yeah, I, I, I really need to, I, I support him rather than the other way around. And this podcast will go out on um, about halfway through uh, Autumn Alpha Day, uh, which is obviously uh, will have been an excellent event uh, by the time people listen to this podcast. Absolutely. And I know that John Griffiths and, and Nick Wright were somewhat involved in, in putting that together. But what's the section's involvement in that being? Our, our response to it really is to say, well, OK, what can we do to assist? We, we're very keen to do our own Yorkshire Alpha Day, uh, hopefully next season. And we did have some ideas about getting something this year, but obviously circumstances have uh, have uh, prevented that. So when when the uh, when the venue came up at Doncaster for for Autumn Alpha Day, we sort of said, well, what can we do to help? And John and Nick were, were quite keen that we were there and in a sort of local support role. So come Sunday, there'll be quite a few of us sorting out car parking and all that sort of stuff. Or will have been, depending when you listen to the podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, obviously, for for listeners, this was recorded a couple of days before the event. Uh, although we have now done, I think we did some some of the Mitcar podcasts we did at the event, yeah. so um, you can't always tell. So you talked about plans for the future. Uh, anything that you can share with listeners now? Uh, uh, you talked about Yorkshire Alpha Day. Anything else that you've you've got in mind? I think I think that Yorkshire Alpha Day is going to be the big one next year. I, I'd, I'd like to think anyway. We're planning a lot of uh, drive outs and kind of treasure hunt type events as well because the pub meetings are important and they're, they're the, to me they're the cornerstone of the section but the actual uh, appreciating your car and appreciating the other people who appreciate them is, is done when you're actually on an event or doing something so I'm very keen to organize some um, some runs up in North Yorkshire and uh, North Lincolnshire, maybe. And the other thing that we do quite a lot is is to combine with the Lincolnshire section. Uh, we we um, liaise quite closely with them on their events and, and invite them to our events and so on. Uh, and that's uh, that's a very good that's a very good formula. As one thing, I would really encourage any section to do is to get together with the, any any section which is close to you or just across the border or whatever, and and compare notes and see see what you can do. Maybe joining up together. Again, we talk about this occasionally on some of the, the podcasts. You talked about what you'd like to do within the section. Is there anything you would like to see the club do more of or do differently or, or do to support the sections that you don't think they're doing enough of at the moment? I, I, th- I, th- I think it depends which section you're in. We, we're, I think it's, uh, it's fairly open secret. We're trying to rebuild the Yorkshire section and give it a slightly, maybe a slightly different um uh, outlook with a different image than we had before um, and we've got a very small number so really we're, we're very much focused on getting people to come to events making uh, making things agreeable to 
to people that they, they want to actually be involved. So, so in, in that respect, we're possibly a little bit inward looking. As far as the club is concerned, I think I think it does a very, very good job. Uh, National Alpha Day was absolutely fantastic, although my car broke down on the way down there, which was a pity. But uh, we, we did the drive of shame and came in a Jeep instead. So <laughs> I'm not talking about that. No, I think I think the, the national events are very very good. I think the, the the magazine is is also very very high quality, very well presented. By a number of people I know in other car clubs, they pick up my Alfa Romeo driver and say, "Wow, this is fantastic, isn't it?" It is very well presented. I, I, I'm slightly biased in some respects because I'm very technical. I'm an engineer by profession, and I, I take these things to pieces all the time. So I would like to see a lot more technical forums and a, technical advice. But um, generally, I think the club does a very good job. The, the biggest problem is the, is the sheer size of the club, you know, sort of distilling it down into bite-sized pieces, which will actually do something uh, meaningful. And I think the, 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 the way you're doing it through the sections is probably the best at the moment. Yeah, and I think that's always the, the, the dilemma, isn't it? When I look at producing the magazine, you know, one of the criticisms we do get is that there was nothing about my car or my section in the latest issue. We've all been, and, and with 111 years of history, yeah, you, know, you you can't cover every car in or every model in every issue. But but we do try and and keep as much variety as we can. I think I think the the register, the people who run the register, the individual registers, have a big role to play there. I mean, I joined the GT register probably a couple of years ago, and I'm absolutely amazed at how dynamic Kirsty is. She's she's amazing. She's she's posting Facebook things. She's uh, inviting people to things she's getting events together and she's very very dynamic and i think that's it's it's a lesson to some of the other people who run the registers you know that that um you know you, you've got to register for a reason it's not just listing all the cars that still exist i would like to see some of them a little bit more proactive there was a chap who ran the 916 register up until what, a couple of years ago maybe and he was very hot on the technical aspects of the 916s, which was great because, you know, I'm, I'm always worried about what's going to break on that next. In, in, in that respect, I, th I do think the, the, the people who run the registers could um, have, have got a, a, a really key role. And, and I think there is, yeah, a, a bit like the, the geographic spread of the sections. Some of the registers have, you know, tens of thousands of cars still on the road and others have, you know, a dozen or so. Yeah. Um, so I think there is a different dynamic just depending on the on the size of the register. Yeah. But I think the good news about Kirsty and I, I, you know, I'm not a GT owner, but I am a member of the the Facebook group amongst other things. Um, I think the good news about Kirsty is she's joining the main board. So hopefully we'll get some of that energy and enthusiasm added to to what we do at a national level as well. Oh, I'm pleased to hear that. I, I, I saw her. Uh, I saw her nomination in the magazine. So that's a great thing. Yeah. I think as a as a group of owners, we've got to keep plugging away and making sure that um, a we keep our cars on the road and b we keep the community sort of vibrant. And uh, I think the club is is very good in that respect. Um, and 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 we just need to, as I say, we, we're we're concentrating on developing our own section because that's really where our energies need to be channeled at the moment. And uh, if we if we can do that, then then uh, yeah, it's good news all around. So that's been brilliant. Thank you very much for uh, for joining us. That's my afternoon. pleasure. Well, that's all we've got time for, but we'll be back in two weeks' time on Sunday the 26th of September when I'll be talking classic car restoration with Ian Jeffcott. Episode 41 will be available to download from 1.30pm from the club website, from YouTube, iTunes and everywhere else good podcasts are found. Until then, stay safe.